0: Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere. They go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. Now, here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of United Soccer coaches,
1: Dean Linke. What a massive show we have for you today. We start talking Michigan State women's soccer. They are now number six in the country. That's right, the Michigan State women's soccer team is number six in the country. They are led by their second year head coach, Jeff Hostler, known as the Haas. He won three D2 national championships at Grand Valley State, and in two short years, he has Michigan State knocking on the door for a Big Ten regular season title. They'll play Ohio State tonight, then on Sunday at two o'clock, I'll have the call as they take on Rutgers on the Big Ten Network with former Illinois great Jackie Manny. After a visit with the Haas, we are joined by the former CEO of United Soccer Coaches, Lynn Berling who is leading the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate Program again this year at the Philadelphia Convention. They have 10 outstanding sessions for current and aspiring youth club execs. CEOs, board members, those type of leaders. An incredible program, Lynn will break it all down. After Lynn, the API soccer coaches community, led by their chair, Ashu Saxena, has brought forward another amazing guest. A Canadian Indian man doing amazing things for his community, doing amazing things over in India as well. Sanjeev Parmar is on the show. And we end by talking to an author of a new book by way of Sweden, Marcus Woffordson. So much experience. He just finished his book called Lessons from the Beautiful Game, How to Become a More Efficient Coach. Who doesn't want that? We all should get this book. That's our show. And it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, League Apps.
0: We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform, so you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show,
1: Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. I'm so thrilled to be kicking off this week's show with the top man of the Michigan State women. In just his second year, he has Michigan State at 12-1-3. One lonely loss against Arkansas way back in September 4th. As we're doing this interview, he's won six games in a row, not tied him, won six game in a row in the Big Ten, beat Purdue, beat Penn State, beat Maryland, beat Michigan, beat Northwestern. They're rolling along, and we're here with the Haas, who, by the way, won three national championships at Grand Valley State as well. Jeff Hostler, the head coach, the Michigan State women, all alone in first place of the Big Ten, the Haas. Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast.
2: Dean, thanks so much. Thrilled to be back here with you. Talk a little bit of little shop, little Michigan State soccer. And thanks so much for that introduction.
1: Yeah, well, I'm fired up because they just added your game on Sunday against Rutgers. This will air on Thursday. I know you have a game in between. We'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, when you get added to a wildcard game and just your second season, when the team that you took over was pretty much near the basement, that's big news Really quickly, Jeff, what has been the key to such a massive turnaround in such short order?
2: It's been these kids, you know, it's been the belief they have coming in a year ago. I mean, I was hired June 14. So it was a pretty quick turnaround to get ready for our first fall in 2021. And this group, you know, welcomed me with open arms. They welcomed our ideas. You know, I think being open-minded this day and age is a really hard thing to do, especially for young people. And They were open to all of it. And so we challenged them. We got to know them on a personal level. Obviously had a very good first year uh, to get us, get us rolling a little bit. Thought we had a great off season. We added uh, a lot of transfers, you know, from the time I was hired to now we've brought in 10 different transfers along the way that we introduced to the group, plus a large recruiting class of 10 players this fall. But we were very intentional in that, you know, asking a lot of tough questions and making sure they fit what our culture stood for. As it's bared out this year, the results it's worked out so far.
1: Take us back to Sunday. You're playing Northwestern. It's a battle of the top two teams. You have identical big 10 records. You're on the road at Northwestern. I don't know how many times you've been there for a game. It's not easy to play on that turf. It's right on the lake. Clearly you had a great game plan. What did that win mean at this point in the season, Haas?
2: Yeah, it was massive. Obviously, uh, you know, top billing to top 15 uh, opponents, you know, road matches are always uniquely challenging. We had to stay 45 minutes away, so we still kind of had a little road trip the day of the match. Even it is, I mean, it's a really cool venue, but it, it's very challenging, very windy. It is on turf, which is an adjustment for all of us. You know, in the Big Ten, when we have to go there and play. You know, we played a little bit of a different uh, shape, a little bit different system that day. Uh, I thought we were really good in our possession, put them on their back foot, and when you can score twice and you can score twice off set pieces, I mean, that's a hard thing to recover from uh, for any group. So. I thought we did a good job, you know, keeping our foot in the gas in the first half and then obviously seeing it out through the second.
1: Remind us who you play today, the day that this is released. It's a Thursday before your game on
2: Sunday. Yeah. We'll be traveling to Ohio state. So another nationally ranked opponent for us, we know they're right in the thick of it for the title chase. So Ohio state's uh, an elite team playing incredible soccer. I think it's 13 goals. The last two matches out for them. And so it'll be a, uh, their attack. Our defense has been very sound. So shaping out to be a really big one on Thursday night.
1: And then the game on Sunday against Rutgers. So yeah, I mean, two big, big games Thursday, Sunday. Can we get in your head on how you break those down? Is it one at a time? Are you thinking about Rutgers before (laughs) Ohio State at all? How much do you share with the team about both opponents?
2: Yeah. I mean, we're always one day at a time process in training Tuesday and Wednesday. It's specific to our opponent Thursday and and what we need to, to look towards. But this is a week where both teams, similarly in a 4-3-3, uh, different variations of it. So there's some, some things that are similar that you can train. They both have elite wing play with pace and ability. So there are some things transitional that, that do transition tactically for us. Well, Ohio State has also been in some other other shapes at different times through the Big Ten play, depending on how teams look to build out. You prep each day knowing that some of the prep we'll have Tuesday can also lead to preparation for Sunday's match. But honestly, on Tuesday, we're not even really talking about Thursday's match. We're talking about what we're doing in that session in regards to how we want to dictate our shape, dictate our style, and preparation for it.
1: The Michigan State women's soccer team. We did this interview before the rankings were released. They were 15 going in. They beat number five Northwestern. They're 12-1-3. and They've scored 34. They've given up just six. So let's start with the back line. You have a goalkeeper that might be the best goalkeeper in the country. Tell us her name and talk about the D in front of her.
2: Yeah, I know that's all uh, opinion-based, but I'm firmly rooted that Lauren Kozel is the best goalkeeper in the country. She was a big 10 goalkeeper of the year last year. Uh, she continues to improve day in, day out. You know, we're watching a future pro in the college ranks right now. Player of her size. She has incredible hands. She comes for, you know, balls that she comes for. She, she not just gets to, but collects. We just play with supreme confidence when she's there because she's a big time shot stopper. She makes all the plays she's supposed to, and then makes those super saves or super plays as well. Very good with her feet. So we're a build out team that, that knocks it around really well. And we really depend on her decision-making to start the, start the possession, start the attack, uh, but also be there as an outlet or release when we can't go forward. So thrilled to have her, but it's not just a, a one-person show. Our back line has a lot of experience. You know, We start a transfer from Colgate and Ruby, Diodati, that did everything any player could do at that level. I think a four-year-old conference player, two-time United soccer coaches, all-region player, is our highest in-stat rated player on, on their, in terms of field players. So we've got grad senior, grad senior, and Sam White, who was all Big Ten last year, grad senior and Abby Gardner in her fifth year, and senior Reagan Cox in in our starting back four. So you you couple those things with senior Lauren Kozal. They've seen a lot of games, seen a lot of action. There hasn't been very many things they haven't been in situationally.
1: That's the backline, Jeff Hostler. I call him the Haas. I think everybody that knows him calls him the Haas because he is the Haas. He is the man, (laughs) the head coach of the Michigan State women as they are rocking and rolling. He's got a veteran team getting the most out of it. Also adding transfers. I'm going to say that stat again, 12-1-3, 34 goals for as well. And you've got three players, double figures in points. So Lauren, Cameron, and Jordan with eight goals, six goals, and five goals apiece, 19, 14, and 12 points, respectively.
2: It's a group that, you know, you go back a year with the graduation of Ava Cook, you know, who was really everything for us in the attack. was often double teamed. Everything, frankly, everything we, we did went through them, and everyone knew that, uh, went through her. And uh, I think we graduate her, and there are a lot of questions about where goals were going to come from. Because in the attack, you talk about those three, Lauren DeBo, Jordan Wickes, Uh, and cam Evans are all returning players that didn't have a lot of points a year ago, but this is a, you know, situation where some of the parts make us greater and um, they're all having actually individually statistically better years than Ava a year ago. Uh, And collectively, I think we're at 19, maybe 20 players now that have points with I think 15 different goal scores. So this is a well-balanced attack. Uh, Cam Evans had a hat trick earlier this year against number 19 Colorado the very next game out, Lauren DeBo had a hat trick against Illinois. And then three of the next four games, Jordan Wick has scored a goal in each of those matches, including a game winner at Penn State. So um, I don't think we're a group you can focus on one individual. I think we can hit it from different angles. Uh, and then, you know, by the way, Northwestern, we scored uh, with a off both set pieces with a six and a center back. So uh, I think the well-rounded attack is serving us well and uh, we'll have to moving forward
1: the leadership that you talked about particularly on your backline doesn't hurt but you know having called games for almost 30 years now i think the best medicine is always confidence i got to believe your team is overflowing with confidence you know confidence
2: and belief can win games do you feel that way jeff do those are that that's exactly it confidence and you just nailed it belief uh, this team has a lot of that right now uh they're hungry they're you know they're, they're super humble as well they come back every day looking to put in more. We talked about this early in the year about how, you know, winning matches, you know, winning games gives you an opportunity to do more. And I think that's lost a lot of times where it's, uh, what's the reward or let's take a day off. But every time you have a little bit of success, wanting to do more, what's, what can we push the envelope with a little bit? And they've, they've been receptive to that year, you know, weekend, week out this year. And that's really led to accumulation of, of different wins that we're stacking throughout the course of the year. So, yeah, I mean, you get results, you're going to draw more confidence. They believe in our, in our coaching staff. They believe in each other. Uh, they believe in the game plan each timeout, which makes a massive difference. You know, they're going out to execute it. So we've been a group that we've stayed true to our identity. We knock the ball around. Well, uh, we like to press and, and, and try to win the ball back. Uh, we like to try and create and score goals, which we've done, but we've done it in a variety of ways in terms of our system and uh, our personnel. We're
1: here with the Haas, Jeff Hostler, just in his second year as the head coach of Michigan State. They play Ohio State tonight, then on Sunday at 2 o'clock, they take on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. I'll have the call with former Illinois great Jackie Manny, as then we'll start moving into the Big Ten Tournament. I fully expect to see Jeff Hostler in Columbus. The Big Ten Tournament semifinals and finals, we played at Lower.com Stadium, the home to the Columbus crew. You mentioned Belief. Tell me now how that has leaked into the administration at Michigan State and the fans. The Red Cedar Rowdies, I think, have been showing up for your games as well. Talk about the overall administration, the community, and the crowd, the students.
2: Yeah, the support's been incredible. You know, administratively, you know, our athletic director, Alan Haller, is out for most of our home matches. There's talk about some road games. Julie Burgess, our sports supervisor, has been phenomenal. There's just a real big excitement around our program right now, not just here, but but in our administration building and certainly in the local community and across campus, you know, our Michigan game last weekend, we didn't just break, but we smashed our home attendance record for a single match. You know, we had 3,022 fans out uh, for that game, which, which broke the record by over 600 our average attendance for matches were in the top 10 nationally. There's just a great buzz around it. You know, Michigan's a a great soccer state. Lansing's a great soccer community. People are coming out uh, not just here locally, but driving across the state. Northwestern, we had over 600 people come out wearing green and white this past Sunday down in in Evanston. So there's just a great buzz around it, Dean. Uh, People are excited. We're hearing from alumni every day. They're fired up about it.
1: So your coaches at Michigan State are just getting to know you. As you know, I cross over into other sports. And in the span of seven days, I did the Battle of the Big Bear, where Michigan State beat Michigan in men's soccer. Then I did field hockey. Helen Ola lost a heartbreaker in uh, field hockey against Ohio State. And then I did volleyball, where Leah Johnson got her first win. At that volleyball game, you guys had just beaten Penn State and you got more airtime than I did in that game as you were sitting right behind the service line. That had to have been great for the team because you saw Leah win her first game in the Big Ten, and you guys were celebrating arguably one of the biggest wins in program history, that 2-1 win at Penn State.
2: Yeah, that was a really cool moment. The stars aligned for us to be able to do that, you know, to knock off number six Penn State uh, on the road, then take the road trip on the bus uh, to get, into, uh, get to Maryland, uh, catch the volleyball team Friday night, I don't know how this, again, stars aligned, but we were able to find seats right there, right on the edge of the floor. Girls were really into it. We were into it. I left that place sweating. You know, we were, we were fired up about it. And uh, I'm so thrilled for Leah, you know, for us to be there for her first big 10 win. She's going to do an incredible job here. She is doing an incredible job here. There's a lot of excitement around that program too. So as a department wide, you know, we're all very supportive of each other. One of our pillars in our culture is family. We have to to continue to demonstrate that different ways. And that extends out to our, our brothers and sisters here uh, with our other sports. So that was an awesome moment for us. We got to celebrate with them, jump around a lot, sing the fight song at the end of the day. So uh, it's exciting. The
1: man's got to be considered for national coach of the year. He has Michigan State at 12-1-3. and three. They got the Buckeyes tonight. They have Rutgers Sunday, a special game added on the Big Ten Network. That's how good Michigan State has become, 12-1-3. and three. Before we let you go, and I know that uh, people have heard me interview you on other podcasts, but I still think your story is incredible. You're from the state of Michigan. So start from the beginning. Tell us where you grew up, where you went to college, how you ended up at Grand Valley, and then how you ended up at Michigan State, Haas.
2: Yeah, so I'm a a hometown kid, grew up right here in East Lansing, Michigan, played soccer, basketball at Alma College, a small D3 school, about 45 minutes north of Lansing. Great school, had an incredible experience, both athletically and academically, socially. When I graduated and came back home, um, my high school coach, soccer coach, Nick Archer, who's a legend, was like, hey, why don't you come out to practice one day? I thought I was going to come out, maybe train with the team. And sure enough, he threw me a whistle and said, you're coaching the freshman down there. And uh, that's how it all began. So I, I coached multiple sports here in the East Lansing community uh, for four years, then coached at Alma College for eight, uh, took over a program that didn't have much success. And, and we won uh, a league title and made an NCAA tournament a different year before having that incredible opportunity at Grand Valley State, which I think is the premier institution in Division II uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Was there seven years, had some good success uh, in my time there. And i uh, been able to stay in the state of Michigan, you know, for my whole professional life, which has been really special for us and our family, both being from here. And then obviously transitioned here to Michigan State this past summer. So be able to have, to be able to come home, our, our families are both from here, have family around, friends around that are just the same as family for us, have people at our games all the time, be in the local community. Our kids are, are playing soccer here for Cap City Athletic uh, with coaches that I began my coaching career with. Uh, or played alongside back in the day. So it's really a full circle situation. This is the ideal fit and uh, thrilled to be here.
1: All right. As we close it out, if I understand it correctly, and I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, I'm definitely no Jeff Hostler when it comes to brain power. But if I do the math right, the destiny of the Big Ten champion regular season, I think is in your hand. Ohio State, Rutgers, you win those two games. The title is yours. I did the math right there, didn't I? You did. And what would that mean in your second season?
2: I can't wrap my head around it. It would be absolutely wild. I'm thrilled each time we get a win because the Big Ten Conference is incredibly special. The talent in this league, the coaching in this league is just phenomenal. Um, you know, and it's not just here. I mean, the the parity across Division One soccer right now is incredible, the way this game continues to grow. And uh, so to be in this position, I'm thrilled. But But obviously, as you mentioned, there's more work to do and we'll prepare our best for it and see what we can do uh, against Ohio state Thursday night.
1: Softball though, if you do win it, that means you have the home seed until the semifinals. If you keep on winning in the big 10 tournament, that's pretty important.
2: Yeah. I think playing at home, you know, we mentioned uh, the way our community has been supporting us. Um, I I think playing in front of your home fans, sleeping in your own bed, there are definite advantages to that. Uh, Although that didn't work out for us last year. So uh, we've got to make sure that, we take care of business, keep it one day at a time. And uh, man, I'd love to be in Columbus because what a cool opportunity and environment that could be.
1: So people, this interview sounds familiar. It's because every time he won at Grand Valley State, we would put him on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Now he's at Michigan State winning every single game. And I'll close out with this, Haas, whether you like it or not, our lives are always going to be bound in some way as the new uh, SID for North Carolina FC is Jake Levy, who, you know, really well. So we've had so much fun talking about you each and every game. It's got to be pretty cool that you've got little Haas soldiers all over the
2: country now. <laughs> <laughs> is that what we are? I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah. Jake's obviously worked with him for a while at Grand Valley, and he's just a really close friend of mine still. So Uh, much, much like you guys have those conversations we do all the time when you, when you bump into special people, whether it's professionally or personally, you know, you got to bring, keep them close to you. And Jake's one of those people. It's been a pleasure, you know, over these years with you, Dean. And, uh, it's, it's great to be back on talking shop, talking soccer and talking connections. So. I
1: do want to paint a picture as we close out here because you were at that game after beating Penn state and they showed the team and they said, Hey, the women's soccer team is there. And I'm like, that's great, but where's the Haas. And so they pan over to the right. And there you were standing right there. And then the whole team, wasn't just you, the whole team got in the picture. And of course you were right there to shake Leah's hand as well. So now everyone in the truck, is so fired up about Sunday's game. And there's like, Dean, you got the house on Sunday. You can't complain anymore that you don't have Michigan state this year. So you're ready to roll Michigan state Rutgers Sunday. Of course, he's got some business against the Buckeyes tonight, but two o'clock I'll have the call on the big 10 network with Jeff Hostler, the top man at Michigan state. They are rocking and rolling. What a great way to kick off this week's show. I'm so fired up, Jeff. So happy for you. And I can't wait to see you Sunday. I'll talk to you later in the week about your team as we get ready for the game. Okay.
2: You bet. Thanks so much for having, on it's always a pleasure go green i'm supposed to say go white so i'll say
1: go white more importantly i'll say go haas jeff hasler the top man for michigan state when we return we visit with the former ceo of united soccer coaches lynn berling manual she has her own consulting company and she still helps out quite a bit with the convention as for the second year in a row she is leading the club leaders professional development certificate program at the convention in philly with 10 outstanding sessions for current and aspiring youth club execs, CEOs, board members, etc., Lynn Burling Manual on the bounce.
0: Register now for the 2023 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia. From January 11th through the 15th, connect with your soccer coaching community and experience all United Soccer Coaches has to offer in one place. Enhance your coaching resume by attending over 200 education sessions taught by world-class instructors. In addition to meal functions, award ceremonies, and a huge exhibit hall offering the latest in coaching tech, equipment, and more. Register before the December 15th price increase at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. It's not too late to get your program recognized for the 2022-23 season. Register now for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program to enhance your coaching experience with educational offerings, general liability insurance, and awards and rankings eligibility for you and your players. The College Services Program serves to support you and your coaches, recognize your students' amazing efforts on the field and in the classroom, and advocate for meaningful change that protects our coaches and players. today by visiting unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash college
1: welcome back to the united soccer coaches podcast presented by lee gaps we're joined by an old friend the former ceo of United Soccer Coaches. She has great experience, of course, as a longtime part of the Soccer America family, which she probably is still part of, I'm sure, AYSO, other things as well. But of course, we know her most recently as the last CEO of United Soccer Coaches before Jeff Van Dusen. The great Lynn Berlin manuel is on the podcast. Welcome, Lynn.
3: Dean, thanks so much for having me. It's a delight to be back.
1: Yeah, well, we're gearing up for the convention again, and for the second year in a row, you are leading a very exciting topic called the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate. There are so many layers to this, including, once again, 10 outstanding sessions for current and aspiring youth club execs, CEOs, board members, Etc. that want to learn and grow. So back for year two on this, Lynn. We're so excited. We'll see it in Philadelphia. Once again, it's called the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate. You have the floor. Tell us all you can about this exciting topic.
3: Thanks, Dean. Uh, It is year two. We had a really overwhelming response last year to this program. We had almost 300 people register for it and it is part of the registration for the convention. It's not an additional charge, but you do have to sign up for it in the registration process. One of the things with my almost seven years at United Soccer Coaches as a CEO that I felt really strongly about is the greatest thing we could do for our coaches was to help their clubs run better. And I think that's an incredibly important thing. And I'm not the person to teach coaches how to make on the field experience better. But I do think that one of the critical keys is to make the business operations of clubs run better and to really integrate the the business side with the larger, the purpose of, of those clubs. So what we've done is we've gathered together 10 really extraordinary presenters this year. And the topics are, are, are not for the average coach necessarily. They may not find them interesting, but every club has at least one person and usually a group of people running that club. And the, the kinds of things we're looking at are strategic planning, how to really understand the financial side of a club and how to make that more successful, how to work with attorneys to keep a club out of legal hot water, how to have parents really become a partner in the club. We've drawn upon folks like Aaron Nagel, who is the executive director of the Colorado Rapids Youth Soccer Club. It's one of the largest in the country with 11,000 Players And he's actually doing one on how to find your club's North Star and really create a new kind of strategic planning that takes two pages rather than a book. And he's also helping. They've had huge success on metrics and data. And he and another gentleman are are putting on a second session really to focus on how clubs can measure how to do better. And it really is including things such as uh, how do you train a board member? One of the things clubs complain about all the time is that you know they get parent board members and they're not as useful as perhaps everybody would wish. But the reality is nobody teaches you how to be a board member. And in this session by Jim Palia, who has had a long experience, he actually has been a part of I think 27 nonprofit organizations. He's actually talking about a new way to work with a board and create a better board and better board members. So the reality is, is I think for our current executives and CEOs at clubs, this is a very powerful refresher or new information, but there's an entire generation of aspiring CEOs and executive directors. They may be a coach today, they may be in some other area of soccer today, but there are thousands of clubs in this country, and we want to be sure that every executive is getting excellent training. So that's what this the focus of this
1: program is. So you named a couple of them. Are you prepared, Lynn Berlin Manual, to list all 10 and who's presenting them, or are you still working on it?
3: I am totally prepared. <laughs> all right, well, let's I'm do totally... it. Let's
1: hear about all 10.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, That's that's very kind of you. I didn't want to oversell in any way, but I am <laughs> very excited. I mentioned Aaron Nagel. Um, again, I'm very excited about Aaron. I actually saw him first do this. Do a presentation at a business session that I was an attendee in. And I was so impressed with him, I asked if he would join us. And he said, absolutely. Um, We are doing a session called Better Leaders Make Better Clubs. And I actually am very excited about many of your listeners and our members will already know Sue Ryan. She is actually an assistant professor of leadership and is taking all of her. Many of us know her as, as a coach. Uh, ODP, all sorts of things, the Women's Committee and the United Soccer Coaches. But in this case, she's actually going to her professional roots of how to be a better leader. And this session went last year and was extraordinary. So we've invited her back this year to do it again. We're doing a session on human resources. People don't think about it, but clubs employ a lot of people. And there's a tremendous amount of legal issues um, leadership issues, management issues, the minute you are handling another person. And we were actually bringing in an expert in this area. His name is Jeff McClure. He actually is a human resources attorney, but he's also being joined by a human resources professional named Jill Meshikow, who was the head of HR for AYSO. Now that's a very large youth organization, but as she points out, it's exactly the same issues. How do you set up good parameters for folks? How do you let them go when the t- if that time comes? Or how do you help them to be more successful? Um, I'm excited about that one because I think HR, people don't think about it. Clubs don't think about it as a discipline, but it it really is. Um, the analytics adventure is actually a, a one that I'm pretty excited about this year. And it's really about how to use data to really transform your club and decide a lot more of its actions. And it's being the faculty member is Adam Kuhn, who's the executive director of a company called Satori Soccer. And interestingly enough, that's a nonprofit spinoff that was created by The Colorado Rapids so that this entire data area could be focused on by other clubs and nobody feel like it's the club's business. This is a separate nonprofit company. We're doing that building and training the better board by with Jim Palia and Jim is the president of a company called Brands That Stand. But again, his personal expertise is he has been on the board of literally dozens of nonprofits. Um, how to make parents your best allies is being presented by Chris Price, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Life Sports. And that's a really interesting. He's actually done work in soccer extensively, but he's also done work, extensive work with the NHL and other both pro and amateur organizations about how you really get parents to want to participate. So many coaches say to us, you know, if I could just get rid of parents, if all my kids were orphans, I would have the perfect team. But there's almost no soccer organizations in this country that can really operate or clubs without volunteer parents. And so making them more effective is actually one of the best things you can do for your club and for yourself. Making better decisions and better financial reporting is being presented by Eric Fair, who's the Chief Operating Officer and Financial Director for the Colorado Rapids Youth Soccer. And you might hear some uh, a theme here. And certainly, Colorado Rapids are not all of our sessions, but they have really found a very sophisticated way, a, a number of them, that complement each other, both in planning, and management that for not just big clubs, but small clubs, they're very excited to be able to share. And that's, I find really heartwarming and unusual in the club environment. They see certainly other teams as competitors, but they don't see clubs as competitors. They see them as colleagues. And I was pretty excited about that. We're doing one on uh, how to sell sponsorships and really the view from f- both sides of the table. And it's done, being done by uh, one of our friends, a former board member of United Soccer coaches, Warren Mercero who has a company called Soccer Solutions, who is a former executive for Adidas, a former executive for Umbro, has been on both sides of the sponsorship table and is really there to share insights with clubs on how to be more successful, both getting sponsors in the door, but also keeping them over the time. Louise Waxler and Steve Gans. Louise is the executive director for a very large club in Virginia. Steve Gans is an attorney who, among many things, has represented players, he's represented clubs, and they're actually doing their session, and I mentioned it earlier, but they're doing their session on how can a club work with a lawyer effectively. Lawyers are not cheap, That We can all tell you that, but the reality is there are times they can save you a ton of money and a ton of grief. And what Louise and Steve are really doing is is working together to help uh, club executives really understand when you really need that lawyer and when you can do it yourself. So I think the combination of these sessions, they're all being held Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Of the convention, it takes six to complete a certificate. Six of the ten to complete a certificate, and it does become a certificate, a professional certificate that you can post to your LinkedIn, put on your resume, use it to enhance with your board your uh, you know your um, learning and qualifications. And again, I just think it's a really exciting opportunity. And I, when you register for the convention there is an opportunity within the registration process to sign up for this certificate. Among other things, there is no additional charge. It's included in your registration, but you do have to sign up for it. So I hope we get a really good turnout. We're hoping for several hundred this year.
1: Those are 10 outstanding sessions with 10 big topics and more than 10 incredible people leading them as several of them have, you know, not one superstar, but two or three superstars, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah called the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate. We're here with the longtime CEO of United Soccer Coaches, who now has her own consulting practice. And before we let you go, I just wanted to merge over into that, because you've got a lot of exciting things going, including allows you to focus on this, but some other things as well. Lynn, I understand you're enjoying that consulting practice world of your life.
3: I am, actually. I'm having a great time. And um, I'm in the middle of a project right now that's really exciting for me. I was brought in to help design or and the, the, the cultural strategy of a new women's professional league. It is Division II. It is called the Women's Independent Soccer League, WHISTLE. It is intended to play in 2024. But what was really interesting for me as a consultant was what they wanted to do was lead with their why. Why were they doing this? And what were the cultural aspects that really needed to be addressed from the front end that potential the owners who are already lined up and potential owners had to agree to going in? And certainly that includes the, the things that you would expect, such as creating a safe, supportive environment for the players, for the coaches, for the staff. But it really covers a lot of areas that are really interesting. A real commitment to diversity, inclusion, and equity that we think is incredibly important. But some interesting things such as making sure that whether you're a player or a coach, you're in the front office, whether you're a man or a woman, that there's a place for you when the time comes that you may be interested in having a family. For many women coaches... Um, and many women players at the point they decide they want to have children, they find that there is no place for them. It's very hard to do. And this is a league that's extremely supportive of that. Again, we, it's our parent, our parent process. But I think that it's also really thinking about um, everybody inside the organization. Um, another example is that mental health will be given exactly the same time, attention, and skill sets as physical health, that we all accept that if you have an injury or an illness, you need time off, you need rest, you need professional care. Um, We believe that's exactly the same criteria for mental health as well. So we've actually put together seven pillars that really support this cultural process. And uh, they're actually being rolled out very shortly publicly privately they've been in place now for a number of months and that's what the organization is really utilizing to help sell these new teams it is not a franchise league which is what people are mostly used to it's an independent club league much more similar to europe so that each club is an independent club but we had to make sure that every ownership group was willing to commit up front to those cultural pillars. So again, from a consultant's point of view, it's been thrilling. Um, I will help them identify a commissioner as well. And um, it's a women-driven organization. So I'm really having a great time with it. So thanks for letting me talk about it, Dean.
1: No, I'm glad that you did whistle WISL. And last thing, Lynn, if people want to reach out to you to seek your services, is there a website or a way to reach you?
3: The very best thing is my email address, to be very honest with you, because it's the one thing I know I always check, and it's Lynn Burling Manual, one word, no hyphen at gmail.com.
1: All right, Lynn, we're so glad you're still involved with United Soccer Coaches leading this incredible 10 outstanding sessions for current and aspiring youth club execs, CEOs, board members, you name it. It's called the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate. Lynn berlin Manuel. always great to see you. And thanks for being a part of this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks, Dean. When we return, the United Soccer Coaches API Coaches community led by Ashu Saxena introduces to another incredible human being his name is Sanjeev Parmar he's canadian he's indian and he's doing amazing things and we'll meet him after these messages performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program the united soccer coaches performance analysis level 1 special topics diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve level 1 accreditation as an applied performance analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the master course schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. If you listen to this show, we open our doors to all of the coaches community. They used to be called the advocacy groups. And we definitely love doing it with United Soccer Coaches, API Coaches community that's led by Ashu Saxena. He's done an incredible job. A lot of people know him for the well-rounded soccer coach. I know him for just being an all-around great guy. And what he's done is brought me all-around great people to be on the podcast. And it's no different today as he brings us Sanjeev Parmar, who lives in Canada right now. He serves as the YFC technical director. We'll get more on that. And some of the other things he does, but first let's welcome Sanjeev. Sanjeev, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast.
4: Thanks, Dean, for having me. Looking forward to chatting with you.
1: Yeah, you're based in Ontario, and obviously for us, having a coach from Canada is an amazing opportunity for the membership of United Soccer Coaches, especially... Uh, somebody of your caliber. In addition to your global outreach, you're not just passionate about player development and providing service to others, but you have proof of development on many accounts. Just an amazing yet humble person who shoe has enjoyed. And now we're going to get the pleasure of enjoying. In your own words, give us your path to where you are today and some of the things that you've done to get to where you are today.
4: Yeah, it's a good story. It's, I mean, it's a long story, I guess. I don't know if it's a good story, but uh, yeah, as a kid, you know, I, I was eight years old when I fell in love with the game. It was a, It was a moment of Diego Maradona, the day he won the World Cup. And I didn't know that much about soccer. I played as a little baby. But I saw my uh, family, they were watching and celebrating. They're talking about this Diego Maradona, and I saw a picture of him in the paper. And so I decided that's who I wanted to be. I'm going to be the next Diego Maradona. So for my youth career, that's what I worked towards, being the next Diego Maradona. I just wanted to be the best player in the world, famous, top man in the world. And uh, I pursued playing, you know, went to school in in America. I'm I'm from Vancouver Island originally, and uh, played four years of university ball, ended up getting drafted to play um, but ended up choosing Charlotte Eagles to go and play for and uh, played for a few years, went from Charlotte, ended up in Canada after, after five years in the States, um, played for a couple of years and got a concussion um, and I retired basically at that point because I was very young, still 24, um, but I remember when I was in college, one of the most one of the greatest pieces of advice I ever had, but the most hurtful piece of information that I received at that moment was, my assistant coach said to me, "Hey, you're going to be a great coach one day." And we were training, so can you imagine? You're training to be a pro, and he's telling you, "You're going to be a great coach one day." And I couldn't believe it. I was so offended. And I said, what do you mean I'm going to be a great coach? He goes, the way you interact with the kids, you know, in the community, I see how you play with them and you're just going to be great one day at coaching. And I said, but no, 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 I'm going to be a pro player. I'm going to play for many years. So I remember, you know, him saying that. So during my years as a pro player, I started doing a little bit of coaching and, and I, it just started to gather a bunch of kids around, you know, have three kids here, five there, 10 there. And all of a sudden it grew. And by the time I had this concussion, I just realized, look, I, I'm forgetting things while I'm talking. So, Hey, I'm, I'm good with kids. I love working with kids and I'm going to teach skills. I'm going to make them like me. I'm going to make the next best player. So that, that's where I pursued my coaching career. And it grew from just a few kids to eventually up to 500 kids a week, you know, in a span of seven, eight years. And then I started my academy called Futuro Soccer Academy. And uh, that was in 2011, October, 2011. And from there, um, the whole idea was, okay, we've got these nine-year-old kids. They're going to grow till 17. And once they get to 17 they're gonna go on to become professional players, university level players, international players. And just slowly but surely, I knew that if I was given a kid from a young age and we can have them three, four days a week, we can develop them, whether it was from the mental perspective or the physical literacy. But if you get the foundation right at the beginning, then you can do something later. And and that's what we did. We just slowly but surely started developing a foundation, um, just the mentality of how are you gonna compete And then the physical literacy so that you can move, something that kids in North America, you know, we as kids when we were younger could do, but now kids can't climb over a fence because they're not allowed to do. Um, You know, we used to climb ropes, you know, in gym class, but they don't have ropes. They don't know what that is. So I have to teach that to our kids and, and recognize that our kids aren't getting that in physical education. So, you know, if you get that foundation right, then you can start to develop the technical base with the ball the core dribbling skills the core receiving skills protecting the ball and escaping out of pressure and then starting to combine with your oppos- uh, with your teammates so that's where we're at man we, we we've taken it from one step at a time and and we've developed kids and right now we've got kids at lazio we've got a, a girl on the costa rica national team we've got a girl at La harve in france and sheffield united if, a few different clubs you know mls clubs so we're, we're just proud man just to get kids out to the next level We're here with Sanjeev Parmar, it's spelled
1: S-A-N-J-E-E-V, his last name is spelled P-A-R-M-A-R, and as he told you, he developed this academy called Futuro Soccer Academy, that's spelled F-U-T-U-R-O. Before we get into some questions, is there a website people can learn more about the Futuro Academy and Futuro Soccer?
4: Yeah, sure, you can go to FuturoSoccer.com on Twitter, I do a lot of posting daily at, at Parmar Sports.
1: At Parmar Sports on Twitter, or you can go to the three W's, F U T U R O soccer.com. Is that right? That's correct. All right, awesome. Now, I also learned from Ashu that you've done some inspiring work for Sony. What does he mean by that?
4: Yeah, Sony is the technical director, or oh, he's the owner of an academy YFC in, in Punjab, India. And I'm from uh, India. my my descendants is from India, my parents. And so uh, I go back and forth to India quite a bit. And so I met Sony back in two thousand and eight, where he introduced me to his academy, and I just couldn't believe it when, when I went there. it's a, It's a small village, Ro uh, Kala in Punjab. and uh, he he is an engineer who was supposed to go to the University of Michigan to study. But his mom said, "You know what? If you go to America, you're never coming back like every other Punjabi kid." So she said, "You know, we're going to educate you here." you do your engineering. He did that, he's, he's a genius, but then he was like, look, I don't, I don't wanna be an engineer. I wanna support the children of our local community because in Punjab, you have to, so Punjab is a state that is um, right beside Pakistan. And so a lot of drugs go through Pakistan to Mumbai. Um, where, you know, the, where the Bollywood is. So what happened over the years, it started to stop in Punjab. All the drugs and alcohol were stopping there. And so a lot of kids got addicted. Kids were off the streets. They're doing drugs. They're doing alcohol. So Sony's mission was, I need to get our kids off the street. So how do I do that? I bring them in after school. So rather than them horsing around while their parents are trying to make a living in the farms, we're going to get them to our facility. We're going to build a facility. We're going to bring them in and we're just going to teach them soccer. And it wasn't to build any high level players, but just to keep the kids moving and running and off the streets. But that went from just a small little idea to his family fully supporting him. And that's what he does. So it's a it's a not for profit organization. He doesn't do engineering anymore, but he engineered this huge academy. And eventually from nothing, he took it to. He's got national team players, he's got girls playing, he's, got, he's now head of Punjab, you know, in terms of the Football Association, so he basically brought me on and I said, look, I'll come, I'll coach, educate the coaches, I'll educate the kids, I'll bring as much as I can, I'll come as much as I can, so they made me the technical director of YFC, and inevitably, the state of Punjab, which is 30 million people. <laughs> so, you know, I, I volunteer and help out and do as much as I can, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's going over and running coaching courses for the coaches and it's been amazing. So in 2018 I took my girls over so one night Sony and I were up while we were in India and I said hey why don't I bring my girls we do a girls program because I we had brought over um, I had done, ran a camp here in Vancouver uh, a few years before and a girl from Vancouver came over she ran a camp with myself so I said look I'll come to Vancouver We'll raise some money then we'll go to India and we'll run this girls' program. So they laughed it off in Punjab. They said, no chance, girls don't play soccer. They're not allowed out of the house. Why would we allow that? So we ran a week and the boys would sit there and watch and laugh at them because the girls couldn't move. They couldn't kick a ball. Uh, and it died. And that was it. So the next time I went to India, I said, to Sonia, let I'll bring my girls. I'll bring my Canadian girls you bring some other teams, you've got some contacts in England, bring a pro club over, we'll bring all the NGOs from India. So it ended up from this random idea while we were hanging out, you know, in the evening, just having 16 different organizations that came, including us from Canada, uh, West Brom, Albion from England, Nepal, and all these organizations from India. And, and it was called the Girls Lead Girls Play Festival. And during the day, they would have these um, they would have little activities where they would discuss things. So one of the things that really stood out, you'll love is they asked the girls, the, the Canadian girls, the Indian girls, what does a father mean to you? And the Canadian girl says, uh, she says, he's very nurturing, you know, like, like he's holding, cradling a baby. And, and the, the Indian girls couldn't believe it. Like a father holds the baby, a father takes care of a daughter. No, the father doesn't talk to the daughter. The Indian girl says, um, slap. You know, like he's a disciplinarian and and my girls couldn't believe that. Like, no, parents don't slap. You know, like, it, so what I'm trying to say is the cultural difference is enormous. So for my girls, like, it was an eye-opener to see that, wow, in the rest of the world, it's not like where we are. And uh, during that event, there was about 2,000 people in the opening ceremonies. My girls had rehearsed an, a Phangra dance, which is an Indian dance in, in our culture. So they, they did the dance in front of 2,000 fans. And so they won the hearts of everyone right off the bat. And it was just an amazing experience for them to be able to go and and part of that trip they raised seven thousand dollars which was able to fund a whole village for a year of education and playing soccer for girls which didn't exist so that was the best experience ever obviously for my girls and hopefully we can continue that on but that girls program exists today and it's flourishing and you would actually say that the girls program is better than the boys program at this point not in terms of developing players but what it's doing for kids
1: I encourage you all to Google a couple articles written by Tribune India that will talk about this collaboration with Sony and Sanjeev. One of them is called YFC Takes on the World, again by Tribune India. Another one says, Need to Replicate YFC Model Across Villages. There's also a link that says donate to support the club and team. Obviously this is a podcast, so they can't hit that link. How can people donate to support the club and team uh, over in India, I guess.
4: Sony comes across to North America, he goes to England, Canada, and, and, and he's got a wide network because a lot of people that left North Kalkala, the village, they are now all over in North America and the world. So he'll just go to their homes and they'll, they'll put together little events where they'll raise some money and, He was over just a couple of months ago and uh, did quite a bit of fundraising. They have an account where you can send American money. And if you go to the YFC website, you probably would find some information on how to do donations. I, I don't know specifically, though.
1: Okay. We'll encourage people to go to the YFC website as uh, we're here with Sanjeev Parmar. After establishing your current coaching positions in Ontario with the Futuro Academy and Parmar training, perhaps what do you think you and your staff do that make you stand out in the area of player development?
4: Yeah, for us, it's very simple. It's all about the individual player, even though it's a a team model, uh, but we're not trying to develop championship teams because if you develop a championship team at 12 years of age or 16 years of age, it doesn't mean that that kid has a career at 18. So it's all about developing the individual within the model. So we're always focused on the details of every single individual at every single moment. So a typical coach might look at the game model and say, Oh, we got this wrong. Our shape was wrong, but I'll look at individual details of a player. Okay. When our center back had the ball, our fullback, what was the angle that he supported? right? Was his body shape opened up? Did he look over his shoulder to the left and right to see where he was going to go? Was his decision on his first touch appropriate? Was it away from pressure into space? So if you start to take uh, development into individual moments like that, now you can start working on movement off the ball. You can start working on your receiving skills. What kind of receiving touch was it going to be outside the foot, inside the foot, furthest foot away from the ball, nearest foot to the ball? Where was the pressure coming from? How was your first step? Did you accelerate past the player or did you kill the ball? And when you kill the ball, naturally someone that's gonna press you hard is gonna win the ball because you're in stationary position. But if you moved the ball and dragged it to the left, that might've created space to the right to play. Which create another angle so it's all about dominating the ball because as you know in football the ball dominates us right so we we play we we think we're going to control the game but the ball is con- constantly controlling the player so from a young age if you can control your body which is physical literacy at the beginning then you can learn to control the ball then you have a chance of succeeding whether it's you're going to go to university in the states or whether you're going to go to europe to play or whether it's an mls club or whether you're playing co-ed soccer at 25 years of age, you still have the capability of dominating the ball, which allows you to play. Ashu
1: said that you're big on, quote, chaos training, end quote, and why it is effective. Talk to us yeah. about chaos training.
4: So chaos for me is, um, it's just basically transition games. So if you look at society now, like for children, the big thing they do is they play video games. Video games means constant transition from one to the next to the next. You lose, you start again, you lose, you start again. So you're going from one moment to the next. You watch cartoons, it's constant transition from one scene to the next, to the next, to the next. So if that's reality of what kids are facing, then how can we bring that reality to the game? Because kids now, if you look at the future, they will probably in the next 20, 25 years be playing video games rather than going and registering to play soccer or sports because You can sit in your house and play video games versus going out and maybe the next generation of parents will have played video games rather than being at the field playing. So how can I then adjust to what the future is going to look like for kids? And for me, transition is very important. So in the game, there's three moments. There's attacking, there's defending, but the most important moment is transition. And and if you don't transition quickly enough, then from attack, you lose the ball and the opposition scores on you. Or from defense, you don't transition quick enough, you don't get to go attack. So the games that are called chaos games, you might have two games going simultaneously of 1v1. So you versus me, I'm playing against you, right? But instead of you and I playing and everyone else watching, there might be another game going in another direction. And so while those games are going on, I have to not only be aware of you, but I also have to be aware of the traffic around. Because in a game, you, I'm not just dribbling against you and looking. at You have to look for space. I have to look for opposition. I have to look for teammates. But when my game is finished or that game is finished, how quick can they transition from 1v1 to 2v2? So now you have to think, which guy is my teammate? Which way was I traveling? Okay, I was going that way. So now I was defending. So I have to go join him and go the other direction. So constantly you're you're manipulating the mind to think rather than turn off. And as you know, kids would rather be turned off and relaxing rather than being turned on and thinking. So uh, I try to keep the transition really high and rapid. So it's chaos, right? You can call that chaos. So it could be 1v1 to 2v2 to 3v3 to 4v4, but it could be a 2v1 to a 3v2, or so it could be numbers up, numbers down, but there's so many games. And I'm constantly trying to think of a different game to challenge my kids, but but one thing that I think you'll really love that I've just started to implement, and, and I don't know anything about it, I'll just tell you, is I've created this concept of gamification for my girls program. So I have a little group of girls that are seven, eight years old that I'm trying to get involved into soccer. So the idea is, how can I make these little girls that don't know anything about soccer fall in love with the game? That That is the main concept, right? So how do I do that? Okay, I'm going to make this so much fun how am I going to make it fun? I'm going to get girls involved in coaching girls. So I've got three of my girls from our club that are 15, 16 years old, who I've said to them, okay, you're going to be the leaders of this program. I will lead it. I will guide you. I will tell you exactly what you're going to do. I'll be there, but basically I'll allow you to be the leaders. So you're going to interact. So what we've done is we've come up with levels. So you know how you play a video game with levels. So our training session, every single training session is a level so we go from level one to two to three, but the levels only last for 30, 45 seconds. So every time they go from level one to two, we do this. We do this song. I go ten and ten tan. ten. So we mm-hmm. clap. So all the kids, as I say they all say. Right? So Super Mario Brothers, right? So yeah. what I've got the girls to do then, I said, you're in charge of the leadership homework stuff. So one of them is homework. One of them is in charge of the music. So they gotta download game games like video games, music. And they put it on. So while we're training, the level is going on. And then when it turns off, okay, did we succeed? Yes, we succeeded. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, now level two. Now we so you might have done a touch with the inside of your foot for level one. For level two, you're gonna do inside outside. But then we might get to like level five. Now we're going to go up, like up a level, power up level. So, you know, i power up level and the game is fast, right? So now you got to go fast. We have learned five different moves. Can we combine them all and power up level? And let's see if we get through, right? And so, it, it, and like I said, there's no concept here. I don't know anything more than what I've told you because I make it up on the spot. And every day we just keep making it up. And, and so it gets better and better. And every day I add things and the parents laugh and the kids giggle. And I'm like, okay, we're going to go from level 10 to level 12. They're like, no, it's level 11. I was like, no, what do you mean? It's level 11. It's supposed to be level 12. And <laughs> it's just a big joke, right? Like I'm just joking around the whole time. So they come and they're just excited to play. And I, I don't even think they know anything about soccer. And I don't think I've even taught them anything about soccer. Cause I think I'm probably having more fun than they are. <laughs>
1: Well, I will tell you, as six Swain has said that you have this incredible passion for service to others, domestic and abroad. And he also said that what drives you to excel in every training session is the kids. And you've been crystal clear on that. Because you got this invitation from the API coaches community. Can you explain how being a member of the API coaches community has been helpful to you?
4: Uh, it's incredible. It's um for me as a kid growing up here in Canada, I'm I'm Canadian kid, born and raised, I'm from an Indian community. I speak Punjabi, Hindi, English. Um, so for me to grow up, and, and and I know when I was a kid playing soccer, I was so everyone knew about me because I was the little Indian kid that was really good, trained with the provincial team, was in the national teams program. You know, so they're always kind of like curious about where I was going. And I was just really, really passionate. My my life was football. I'd go to the field and everyone knew I went to the park to play. But there was no other Indian kids that were really making it, but they were very talented, but you know, they would just kind of fall off at 16, 17, because obviously. The make it you have to be really really good but I was a little bit different always because for me I just had this one idea I wanted to play pro and and when I'd read these books you know, they would say, uh, okay, well, you know, you have to do this, or you, have to do that. you have to stay away from alcohol, you have to stay away from partying, you know, you have to polish your boots. So I'll just take that bit of information. I just kept compiling this little details, incremental details, right? Every day, incremental gain. So um, little by little, I just became different than the rest of the kids, but I was still Indian and I was making the Indian community proud. Even though I'm completely Canadian, I, if you're outside, you think I'm Canadian, born and raised Canada. I went to school in America and and there was 1,200 kids in college. And one day I'm sitting there in third year in my class. And I'm like, dude, I'm brown. I'm brown. I'm the only brown kid in the class. You know, like it took me three years to realize that I'm actually different. But I don't like I never look at myself as being different because I'm, I'm born and raised in Canada, whatever, right? But it, I, I realized that, you know, in my community, you become a doctor, you become an engineer, you know, you become an accountant, because of, those are the things that you do in, in Indian culture. Because... India is a country of struggle and survival, not like Canada where, you know, our parents came, they struggled, but I didn't struggle because they did all the struggle for me. So I already had it made. And the next group of kids, they have it even made it even better. So we, we think that we need to make sure our kids are doing well in education so that they can survive later. But now that's changing, right? The society is changing a little bit. In India, you got 1.2 billion people, but you might have uh, a middle class of 300 million people that's more than, you know, the population of, of America, but still you have eight, nine million, a uh, hundred million people that are still poor, right? Our culture, we, we get excited about education because we know that's the way out. But I also know that my passion, it was my way out. I, I, I always looked at life in the four Ps, possibility. What is possibility, All right? So my possibility was I wanna be involved in soccer at the highest level. And so I have a passion for it. And so when I tell kids, I tell anyone, I say, you have to have a passion, whether it's soccer. And as you know, I have soccer passion, but you might want to be an astronomer. You might want to be this or that. You have to then work hard. You have to persevere. You have to be persistent towards that. So in my community, I'm someone different. And when I go home, even till now, when someone says to me, hey, what do you do for a living? My relatives say, I coach soccer. They're like, okay, yeah, that's right. So what do you do for a living? I'm like, I work with kids. I coach soccer. But, but how do you make a living? You know, like, so how, what do you mean you coach? So what's your real job, right? And so they don't get it because that's not really the norm. I've been doing it long enough where they've kind of accepted me, right? And, and I'm different. But in our community, we don't see so many coaches. So whenever you do see someone, it's like, oh, wow, that's cool. You're a university coach. You're Indian. That's just, it, it's hard for me to explain that because in, in a North American society, it's normal, right? You're born, you grow up, you become a coach. But in our society, it's not normal. In, in Asian society, it might not be as normal because education is always going to be front and center. So it's very exciting for me to be able to, uh, for other people to be able to see that, oh, this guy's Indian. He he has lived his life through his game. He's traveled around the world because of the game. And maybe then I could be like that as well. And so I feel like it's an inspiration for others, even though I don't go and, you know, I don't go talk about this and, hey, I'm going to inspire you. But I think it's cool that I'm doing it and that I, I get excited when I see other Asians that are coaching. It's just cool for us. It's hard to explain, I guess, but it is very nice.
1: No, it's beyond cool and super inspiring. Just two more questions for you. One, what are your plans for the Diwali Festival of Lights, and can you briefly explain its significance?
4: Yeah, Diwali is uh, next Sunday, I think October 22nd, I think is the official date. Well, I was given Tickets to go to the Ottawa Senators hockey game, which I've given to my coaching staff because as a family, we have to go to this event. It's the, it's the victory of good over evil. So for sure, I have to go to the event. It's the Festival of Lights. I guess you guys know it as if you go back into epic times, Ramayan is the book, and Ram is, is the Lord that has victory over Ravan, who's the bad guy. And so basically, it's the victory of good over evil. Um, And then when he came back home to his kingdom, there was lights all over, you know, because in celebration. And so it's the Festival of Lights Celebrating Good Over Evil, and and I guess to summarize it. And so, yeah, we'll have a nice celebration here in in Ottawa. We'll go and uh, attend some festival and activities and we'll do some stuff at home, too. We're going to like with my kids, we do um, some drawings on the ground. We get some powder and we color things up. It's great. It's a nice time.
1: Well, it's interesting that it's Festival of Lights, because to be frank, and I'm not being a sycophant, you are a bright light indeed, and as you said, you would. So as we close out, if you could plug one more time your website and where people can follow you on Twitter to keep up to date on everything that you're doing, Sanjeev, it's pretty awesome.
4: Yeah, no problem. Twitter at Harmar Sports, um, which I post daily for just coach education. I just post random things for people to see so they can learn. Our website is FuturoSoccer.com, and if you want to learn something from that website, probably go to the homework section uh, because we provide that for our kids in the academy so that they can, you know, if someone needs to work on the receiving skills, I just basically here here are the core receiving skills. Go there work on this stuff, get a wall, hit the ball against the wall, work on it. Or if it's their footwork they need to work on, we've got you know, 30 videos or something, just constantly adding little things. So it's just something for the kids to go home and do for five minutes, 10 minutes a day. So there's a program in place, whether it's strength training or whatever it is. It's just a few things on there. It's nothing great. But it shows some of the kids that have gone on to do well in our
3: academy.
1: That website, again, is Futuro Soccer. F-U-T-U-R-O Soccer.com. I want to thank Ashu Saxena, who is the chair of the United Soccer Coaches, API Coaches Community, for indeed bringing us this bright light in Sajib Parmar. Sanjeev, thank you so much for sharing your story. It is indeed bright, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Hope to see you at the convention in Philadelphia, and thanks for being with us.
4: Thanks, Dean. Looking forward to seeing you guys in the future.
1: When we return, we're not done learning. We're not done growing. I want to thank Zach Burkhead for reaching out and letting Bailey Conklin and myself know about Marcus Woffordson. He's had an amazing career, and he's written a great book called, quote, Lessons from the Beautiful Game, How to Become a More Efficient Coach, end quote. Who doesn't want to become a more efficient coach? We visit with Marcus Woffordson after these messages.
0: Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love. Delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches less busy work more time doing what you love go to leagueapps.com to learn more league apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the united soccer coaches podcast
1: welcome back to the united soccer coaches podcast presented by league apps so pleased to be joined now by marcus woffordson marcus is a swedish international who has more than a decade's worth of experience as a professional coach from the grassroots level to the Women's UEFA Champions League, where he reached the quarterfinal against Manchester City. Additionally, he has consulted with top US and Scandinavian clubs. Marcus has begun mentoring other coaches and providing advice to them based on his previous experiences. He recently finished his book titled, Lessons from the Beautiful Game, How to Become a More Efficient Coach. He sees the book as an extension of his service as a coaching mentor. I can't wait to learn more about the book. And now joining me, Marcus Woffordson. Marcus, where are you joining me from, by the way?
5: Dean, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. I am sitting in Sweden, my native Sweden, and my native county of Jamtland. I'm overlooking a beautiful lake. I have the mountains as a backdrop and it's autumn color. So I'm loving it.
1: All right. Well, before we get into the book and all of your great work as a coach and a coaching mentor, tell us your whole story. Did you grow up in Sweden? Did you play professionally at all? Give us your backstory if you can. Don't leave anything out.
5: yeah, I grew up in Sweden, played a multiple range of sports, every team sport. I tried it. I played two basketball games before I realized I was horrible. So I quit. But I tried everything, fell in love with soccer, wanted to become as good as I could be. I had that uh, drive that, you know, I figured that if if I'm going to do it, I don't want to have any regrets, right? I don't want to look back and say, hey, if I just worked hard and on becoming a player for one more year, maybe I could have become a pro, right? So I did give it all I could, which didn't amount to much, but it did get me to Norway. So I was recruited by a Norwegian second division team. So I played one season in Norway and I developed a lot as a, as a player, as a goalkeeper. And I developed a lot as a coach because I met some of my coaching mentors uh, in Norway. I ended up staying 10 years in Norway in total and started my coaching career there. And, you know, I started at the bottom. I started with my former club coaching down the 19s, started kind of an after school academy thing. I've done every role you can imagine. I've been the assistant coach, the head coach, coaching the small kids, coach educator, scout for an English Premier League team, coach educator. Did that a lot. That was really fun. That was something I really liked. And what I kind of realized after, four or five years doing this while also working full-time job. I want to have that same, I had the same kind of mentality as when I played, right? So I want to give it all. I want to see how good I can be as a coach. So I quit my day job, went all in on coaching, did four or five different coaching jobs at the same time. Eventually made it to a professional Norwegian team as a academy sporting director and eventually also assistant coach before before moving back to Sweden and Linchöping, which was my final assignment as a coach.
1: So pleased to be joined by Marcus Waffredson, who has just finished his book, Lessons from the Beautiful Game, How to Become a more efficient coach. You covered a lot right there. Can you go into detail the transition from grassroots coaching to Champions
5: League level coaching? There's obviously a big difference. Slight difference, for sure. <laughs> I think the there's a huge benefit as a coach to be able to teach players of all different age groups, right? So I see coaching 7-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 19-year-olds, And fully adult players of different ages, which is also a a topic in itself, how to navigate that as a coach. I see that as extremely valuable because that lets you understand how different people learn as well. The transition from that to the professional level and eventually like working with national team players in shopping as we did, it's big in certain areas. But when it comes to on the field, the difference is not that big you know you have more resources you have better players obviously Uh, you have more staff etc but on the field the difference isn't that big the big difference is everything else and I think that's where many coaches get surprised when they move into let's say you move from either a grassroots level or a lower division or you move from assistant coach to head coach even on the professional level the thing that eats coaches up and makes you doubt that you made the right decision to say yes to that job or that actually comes back and kind of destroys your not your life but you know your opportunities to succeed is everything else it's not the thing on the field it's the the things around it like the press how to handle the press how to handle the fans how to how to deal with the board how to deal with sponsors and big investors right it's all those areas that we do not receive education on in coach education, those are the areas that come back to haunt us. And those are the biggest differences, I think, between the grassroots and the professional level.
1: I'm thinking you cover this in your book, and we're going to get more to your book here in a moment, but how to increase efficiency in your coaching to improve results as well as your well-being is an important question I wanted to pose to you. Can you break
5: that down? Sure. I think the, the biggest problem we have, especially today, is all the information we have around us. We're consistently bombarded by information and we have a lot of communication going on on different levels. Communication is always a good thing, but we can also fall into trap of over-communicating. And you just get distracted easily today. I think that's one of the major things today for coaches, figuring out what is the thing that I should be doing that actually gives results. And this is what I talk about as the first step in the book as well, how do you prioritize, and how do you figure out what is the most important thing? What's the thing you can use to spend the less, the least amount of time on, but can give can give you the most results? Right. I always use the the Pareto principles an example, right? The eighty twenty kind of rule, and it holds true in a, across different different disciplines. And it might not be eighty twenty exactly, but you know, at least it's it shows a point. And I think this is definitely the way it was for me when I look back at my coaching. I would say I probably spent 80% of my time on the thing that gave me 20% of the results, which is insane. <laughs> you know, obviously you should spend most of your time on the things that actually give you results. But I f- think that we are many coaches who are spending a lot of time on different things that's all related to coaching, but at, at the end of the day, it does not provide results. And then you know, the question obviously becomes, what is results? Because I'm not talking in general about the game result because that's the most difficult thing that you can i mean you can't control it as a coach it's the most difficult thing you can influence but results i mean that could be obviously the game result but also like in terms of developing players in terms of making the team better that's a result right so i think that is the the most crucial step for becoming more efficient is to figuring out what is the most important thing I should do.
1: Here with Marcus Watfordson, who just finished a book, Lessons from the Beautiful Game, How to Become a More Efficient Coach. When we finish, we'll tell you where you can find that book, and you'll want to get that book. And because of his humility i feel like you very much cliff noted your impressive resume which i appreciate but i know you've had amazing experiences along the way from grassroots coaching all the way to the champions league what do you feel like you've learned most from all of your various
5: experiences worldwide it's a very good question dean thank you for that the thing i learned most about is probably what i should not do <laughs> you know and that's kind of all this the, like i mentioned briefly like all these things I spent time on that I shouldn't have spent time on. I spent a lot of time, like you say, I'm, I travel a lot. i I've been to many of the biggest clubs. I've been fortunate enough to be part of a lot of good coach education. There's been a tremendous amount of knowledge transfer. So being able to learn from these people that are on the top and the top clubs have been extremely valuable. And I think, in that process and, this might be the thing that I learned for sure is that when I look at everyone, not only coaches, but let's stick to coaches in this this context. When we look at the top coaches, when we look at Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp and all these amazing coaches, we tend to look at it and treat it as, ah, what they are doing is how you should do it. And then the problem is that we do not have those players. You know, we do not have those resources. So I think the top thing I learned is breaking down what you see into principles and taking the principle out of it. If they do this, ah, so the principle of that is they want to attack with speed because to, they want to exploit the opponent in transition. Okay, let's take that principle and then figure out how to implement that in my environment with my players who are 19 years old, You know, they only train twice a week or whatever it is, but don't copy the exercise. Don't copy exactly what they do. Don't copy what that club is doing, but learn from the principles of it. So if you're able to learn from multiple coaches and multiple clubs, awesome. See if you can identify what they have in common that makes them successful and don't copy it. So I think that is my my major lesson i love the fact that i learned that you have spent some
1: time at the united soccer coaches convention i'm always amazed when i meet these talented european-based coaches that say that the convention is one of the best things they've ever attended, and it's here in the United States where a lot of times Europeans still feel like United States are novices in soccer. Clearly, we're growing. We're a power in women's soccer for sure, although England and Spain just beat us, but you know we're the back-to-back World Cup champions. Talk about why you have enjoyed so much being a part of the United Soccer Coaches Convention.
5: Well, I think the first thing, which is very strange for someone who lives in Sweden, is you're in a venue with tens of thousands of coaches, which is incredible. The pure size of it is amazing for someone who comes from a, a small country. We only have 10 million people in this country. And then you can see 10,000 people in one day. That's You don't see that here. So that is one thing. It's almost too many things going on, you know. There's so much to choose from. So actually, one of my biggest criticisms is that there's too much stuff. So I cannot go to everything. You know, I see that the <laughs> things I want to go to there at the same time. I'm not like, ah, darn, you know. But it's also <laughs> the the unique kind of combination of you have the kind of soccer industry, meaning the people who try to sell you stuff. They are also there. So you have you have this one location where you can kind of you can meet your colleagues. You can you can learn from people who have more experience and more knowledge that you have and you can meet people that you can create business connections with and, and all that good stuff. So I think that's the, that's the reason why I love it. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely try to be in Philly uh, this upcoming year as well.
1: Well, speaking of selling stuff, I definitely want to sell this book lessons from the beautiful game, how to become a more efficient coach before we tell people where they can find it. Tell us what was The genesis, what was the tipping point behind wanting to write this book? And then follow that up with what are some of the key talking points of the book, some key learning points of the book?
5: Well, the reason I wanted to write it was after I left Linshoping, I felt that I did not want to coach anymore. I've given it more than a decade, um, you know, from the grassroots level, done every role up to, to this point. And I kind of felt like, okay. i I did my thing here however i'm the type of person that whenever i come into an organization i did this as a coach when i came into an organization i always want to leave the organization in a better state than when i came that was my intent when i came always and i think i succeeded with that that's how i thought thought about the coaching thing i thought it was almost unfair of me to quit coaching a team at least. Now I coach coaches, but uh, it, it would be unfair of me to quit without leaving something behind because I felt like I made <laughs> almost all the mistakes you can make. I spent a lot of money traveling to all these big clubs, being in all these coaching courses, learning from all these great people. And I lost a lot of relationships along the, the way because of the, you know, the hundred hour coaching weeks and work weeks and all the travel, etc. So it felt like I wanted to give something back. You know, it, it wouldn't feel right to just spend all that energy and, and resources and not leave something for the next generation. And I think that's, for me, that's kind of how I see life being. You do something, you create something, and you accomplish something, then I think you should share it with the world. So that was the, the motivation. And I started writing this book. I think the first try was at the end of 2018, and it was horrible. Uh, so I think I wrote like 20,000 words, just threw it all away. Um, and then I did a new go at this in 2019. Uh, so I basically wrote the book in 2019, revised it in 2020, thanks to COVID that gave us some time to, to figure out what to do. So I revised the book, got it edited in 2021 and finally, finally I've released it. And the book symbolizes for me, the closing of a chapter in my life. So here I am, this was my coaching journey. This is well learned. This is what I kind of the methods I used with with clients and and other coaches and friends that actually works. Okay, let's pass that on, close the chapter of this period of my life. And now I feel like I can take the next step.
1: The book is called Again Lessons from the Beautiful Game, How to Become a More Efficient Coach. What a great message, by the way. What a great title. Where can people find the book, Marcus?
5: The book is available as paperback and ebook on Amazon. So you can go to Amazon.com and .SE if you're in Sweden and get this book today. All right. Another great show. I want to thank all of our wonderful guests. Also want to thank Bailey
1: Conklin, Brandon Milburn, Erica Dyer, Jeff Van Dusen at the gang at United Soccer Coaches. My producer is Colin Thrash. for each and every one of them. And all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps.
0: Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.